Hey, let's open our Bibles to the little tiny book of Nahum. Not sure if that's the proper pronunciation. Nahum, maybe. But it's in the uh, section of the Minor Prophets, if you want to turn there. I'll give you a minute because it's not like looking for, for Matthew or Genesis or something easy. Hey, you know what? If you, you know, the last time I checked, Bibles usually have indexes too. So uh, if you, do you still know how to use indexes? Do we still know how to do that these days? You know, with everything on your phone or on your computer, you don't know how to do anything. You know, we, we're uh, handicapped. So, uh, but if you find that, we're going to get to that in a minute. <clears throat> good morning. Did I say good morning yet? No, I just told you I was hungry. That's all I did. Uh, now I can't stop thinking about food. This is terrible. But we got the Word of God, which is our spiritual food, right? So before we get into the book of Nahum, uh, I want to just do a little bit of uh, checking here because uh, <clears throat> some of you have been around for a while and you remember we talked about uh, the sections of the Old Testament, right? Now the Old Testament uh, is completely awesome. You know, if, if you're going to read one Testament, I'd say read the New Testament, but don't miss out on the Old Testament either. But for a lot of people, the Old Testament, like that's so out of reach, I can't really, I can't, it's so big, and it's so, you know, foreign to me, I can't really get a picture of it. But, but really, when you kind of break it down, and that's what, I, what I've done before, I came up with this little scheme, and it really has five sections, right? So the, the numbers, you only have to remember a certain number of numbers, five and a twelve. You got that? What are the two numbers? Five and a twelve. So it's easy. So five, twelve, five, five, twelve. Can you can you say that with me? Five, twelve, five, five, twelve. Now you got all five sections of the Old Testament memorized, sort of. I mean, you got the start right, but it, it really is broken down into these different sections. And and for the next number of weeks, I'm going to be doing uh, what I'm calling a month in the minors in the minor prophets. I'm going to do about a month and and uh, look at look at a number of these books just uh, one week, a, a quick look, kind of get the big picture of what's going on in that book. Today we're going to look at Nahum, and, and next week uh, Habakkuk, and, and so on and so forth. So, so uh, these sections, though, uh, are, are important to kind of get an idea of, of where they are and what they are. If you break it down, it's not so frightening, I think. So, who can tell me what the first section is? Law, law right. Five books, right? Anybody know what they are? Okay, all right, Tony, you get an extra uh, chicken wing. Oh, there he goes, that food again. How about the next section? Anybody know what it is? History, right? That's, that's good. Law and history, I'm not going to ask you to, admit, to, to tell me if no, although some of you do know them all. Uh, but it's uh, the history of the nation of Israel, the history of what God is doing in the nation. How about the next one? Poetry, poetry yeah, one of my favorites. Actually, they're all my favorites, but poetry. Uh, we have the book of Psalms in there, the book of what? Proverbs, what else? Job is in there, right? Ecclesiastes and the Song of Solomon, right. So they're all these poetic 
poetic books. How about the next section? This one's five as well. Major prophets. There it is. Major prophets. And then the last one is the minor prophets. That's easy to remember, right? Now, is, is, it, because, is it because the major prophets are in the major keys and the minor prophets are in the minor keys? It's, all, it's only about the size of the book, that's all. It's not like the major prophets are more important than the minor prophets, it's just the size. That's the only reason that they have different names. So today we're going to look at Nahum. And Nahum is one, as I've said already, of the minor prophets. But he was a prophet, and a prophet is somebody who would speak from God. That's really what a prophet would do, would speak from God. In uh, 2 Peter chapter 1, it, it talks about <clears throat> prophecy, and it says in, in 21, verse 21, it says, For prophecy never had its origin in the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along or as they were, as they were moved by the Holy Spirit. So these words that these prophets would speak, and, and again, we have a, a two whole sections of prophets, and there are prophecies as well in other sections of the Bible. These are just the main categories, but even, even in the book of Psalms, there's, there are prophecies in there where David perhaps was speaking prophetically about things that were to come or things that God was saying uh, to the people of Israel and to us today as well. So so the prophets would speak, but they, they spoke from God as they were moved by the Holy Spirit. But the bottom line, uh, in my mind, is, is found here in 2 Chronicles 24. The purpose of it, it says, Although the Lord sent prophets to the people to bring them back to Him, and though they testified against them, they would not listen. The, the, the bottom line for me is the prophets would speak and, and God would send the prophets, and why? Because he was calling the people back to himself. Now, why would he need to do that? Because they went away, yeah. Because they wandered off, because they went and did their own thing. They left God out of their lives. They left God out of the picture, and so God has to call them back. And, and I wonder, does that ever apply to any of us here today? Do we ever kind of wander off? Go do our own thing. Leave God out of our lives, out of the picture. And he calls people back to himself. And, and so I think, you know, we can say, well, these minor prophets, they were talking to the nation of Israel. They were calling them back. But, but God has preserved his word for us today to speak to us today. Why? Because we're people just like they were. We're really no better. We're no different. And God has got a message to bring us back to himself. That's, that's, that's the desire of his heart. It always has been. He wants to have a relationship with us. Not a religion, but a relationship with us. So, so he is calling us to himself. He wants to talk to you. He wants to be a part of your life. He wants you to have this relationship with him. That's, that's important to him. So he's calling you and I back uh, one one uh, pastor said this, that the minor prophets, they speak directly and powerfully to present sins. He says it's not just, it's just 
It is just not possible to read them carefully without having one's life challenged and without determining to go out and live differently. To, to really hear the messages, even in these minor prophets, that God would challenge us. You, you see, you know, it's my, it's my job to study these and to try to present the truth that's here and, and what God would, would want to share with, with you. But, but, but we can make it just kind of like, oh, you know, uh, uh, educational exercise and you learn, you know, the different sections and all that. But the bottom line is that God wants to speak to you. God wants to speak to me, and, through, and he uses his word, and he'll, he'll use these words if we're willing to listen. Another uh, Bible teacher said this, that people have a choice, always. And the choice is to submit to God when he speaks to us through his word. Or to submit bent over in shame as circumstances crush our pride. How wise to submit to God willingly and let him lift us up. How foolish to arrogantly resist God and make him crush us. The bottom line for, for us is, are we going to listen? Are we going to hear? And, and I already read, read to you that quote from, uh, from, what was it, Second Chronicles, you know, that they would not listen. That's, that, that was true of the nation of Israel, and I think it gets true uh, to our present day, to you and I as well. Are we willing to listen? You know, we come to church... You know, we open our Bibles in our own private lives. Uh, why do we do that? We, I want to hear from God. I want to listen to what God has to say. If I don't, you know, if you don't want to hear what God has to say, being in church is kind of a weird place to go, right? Like, why would you do that? Well, because they have potlucks. And that's, that's a good reason, right? The fellowship is part of what we do, but... But we want, we want to hear, I want to connect with God. I want to hear what God has to say. Otherwise, why bother? I'll just go out and do my thing. I'll go out and go down to the beach. I'll go, you know, somewhere else. So just the fact that you show up here tells me something, that there's something in you that you want to hear what God has to say. And I, I think that's good. I'm encouraging. I'm trying to encourage you in that. Listen to what God would say to you. Now, the... the uh, the minor prophets, there's a whole list of them here, but they're just, a, if you can see the, the time frame, you know, they're, you know, 700, 800, 500 B.C. So these are written many, many years ago. We're talking 2,700 years ago, 2,500 years ago, a long time ago. But the words that were spoken then are just as powerful today. Some of the messages that came from them, and, and these are all the books that we've already looked at over the last few years. But some of the messages that they had in Hosea that God's love is unrelenting. In the book of Joel, uh, it was about turning the nation back to God to prepare for the coming great day of the Lord. Amos, the time of Amos was a, a time of prosperity and, and success, but they had forgotten God and left him out of their lives. That little book of Obadiah he talks about the pride. And he, he talks about your pride will bring you down. Jonah is the one we all remember. It's, it's, it's uh, the most familiar, of course, that the, the, the running prophet, the prophet who ran away from God. But, but the message is that God loves all people, even the people of Nineveh. 
And then Micah, that passage that says, He has showed you, O man, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you to act justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God. So a lot of that stuff is, is applicable, applicable to you and I. But let's go ahead and get into the book of, of Nahum. And again, we're not going to look at every verse. We're not going to look at every chapter. But I want you to get an idea. Let's start in verse 1. It says, an oracle. And this word oracle means burden. This burden concerning Nineveh. The book of the vision of Nahum the Elkoshite. We don't know a lot about this guy Nahum. That's really all we know. They, they, they think that he might be from the region of Galilee. Actually, the, the town of uh, Capernaum means the town of Nahum. The literal translation of it means that. But we don't really know. But he had this burden. He had this message concerning Nineveh. And Nineveh, the message for Nineveh, which was the capital of what nation? Anybody know? Assyria, right. Nineveh was the capital of Assyria, so it was really speaking to that, that whole nation, really. Uh, but, but the message really is this, is that judgment was coming. Judgment was coming. Now, Nineveh and, and the people of Assyria, they were brutal. They were a brutal people. One, uh, one person writes this, they are one of the cruelest, vilest, most powerful, and most idolatrous empires in the world. And some believe that they were the biggest city of that day. Nineveh was. The world's biggest city of that day. And, and I, and I kind of, thinking about this, this situation here, is they, if they were the biggest city and they were very powerful... But they were also very cruel. Were they too big to fall? Too big to fail? You've heard that saying, right? They talk about big companies, big banks, too big to fail. We're not going to let them fall. We're not going to let them fail. But the interesting thing to me about this whole picture is this, is that Jonah, as I mentioned earlier, he went to Nineveh. God sent him to Nineveh, right? And what happened when he went to Nineveh? He preached to the people. At first, it, you know, the whole story before he actually got there. But he finally got there. And this is about 100 to 150 years before Nahum. Okay, so you get this picture. 100, 150 years earlier, Jonah went to Nineveh and preached to them. What happened? Anybody know? Yeah, all that. Whatever you said. They repented. They had a revival. I know you all said that. They turned back to God and, and incredible stuff happened. Now, Jonah wasn't too happy about it because he wanted to see him wiped out because he hated them because they were so wicked. They were so mean and cruel. But they repented and they were spared and God spared judgment on Nineveh and the people of Assyria. But that was 100 years ago, right? So sometime after that, and you can read about it in, in Jonah. It's, a, it's a, a fascinating account of what they did and what they said, how they turned to God. But sometime after that, they, they went back, right? They went back to their evil ways. 
So is there a message for us in that? I think so. For you and I? Don't slip back. They had turned, they had repented, they had got right with God. And in a matter of time, now you could say, well, that was a hundred years, those were different people. Okay, we'll talk about that in a second, but isn't that also true for us individually? That we can be rescued by God, we can turn to Him and, 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 and have a brand new life, and yet fall back into our, own, our old ways? Does that ever happen? Like, duh. It does. And you and I better watch out. We better be careful. Be careful. Lest we would also slip back into, into the ways of, of the past, the ways of our old life. The Bible, New Testament, talks about it over and over. Despite their past repentance, the present Nineveh is now rejecting God in unrepentance. Unrepentant. In fact, the, the rulers of, of Nineveh, you know, you can read about this. They, they actually thought and they would proclaim themselves to be divine, that they were God. They didn't need God because, because the ruler said, I'm God and everybody needs to worship me. Now, you know, that's what idolatry is all about, taking God off the throne and putting ourselves or something else. That's what idolatry is. And they were very good at it. But the other thing to think about in, in relation to this, this idea here is, is that, okay, it was 100 years, but something did not make it to that next you know, group of people. Well, you know, a generation is what, about 70 years? 40 to 70 years, depending on how you number it. So something didn't get passed on. They truly repented. I think it's absolutely accurate that they did repent, but something happened now. A hundred years later, the people are in a horrible, horrible situation. Now, every generation makes its own choices, and we can't make the choices for the next generation, can we? They have to make their own uh, choices, but it's our responsibility to let them know about the truth, to, to pass the truth on. You know, uh, you younger people, you know, grow up in a Christian home and you, you, you know about the faith through your parents, but there comes a point in time where you have to make it your own, where you have to make a decision and say, I will trust in Jesus Christ for my Savior, for myself. You can't, your parents can't do that for you. So to pass it on, though, for us, uh, who've been Christians for a while, to pass it on to, uh, to the next generation is absolutely, crucially, essential, important. You know, the older I get, I think that, that the more I see that and, you know, having uh, grandkids and, and uh, you know, thinking about, you know, the kind of world that they live in and, and what's going on, you know, without the faith, they need to know. Now, they need to make their own choice. They will have to make their own choices. But it's up to me, it's up to us to let them know. Now, in Nahum's prophecy, we've talked about already the, the, the wickedness of uh, Nineveh and the Assyrians, and you can see that throughout the book. But one of the other things that is also 
uh, seen in the, the prophecy of Nahum is the character and the attributes of God. Very, very clear. And, and, and some of them are, are his patience, his power, his love, his justice, his holiness, his goodness. All these things about who God is. Let's look at verse 2. It says here, The Lord is a jealous and avenging God. The Lord takes vengeance and is filled with wrath. The Lord takes vengeance on his foes and maintains his wrath against his enemies. The Lord is slow to anger and great in power. The Lord will not leave the guilty unpunished. You see, just in those two verses alone, we see so many different things, so many different aspects about God and, and who God is. And, and if you just read verse 2, you say, oh, wow, he's so mean. He's so, you know, he's just about vengeance and just about wrath. But when you read the whole of the Bible, you, 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 get, a, you get the big picture. God is a God of love. I'll say that very clearly. God is love. The Bible said God is love. God so loved the world he gave his son. It's so very, very clear. But God is also a God of holiness. God is also a God of justice and vengeance and even wrath. You know, we kind of we like would like to just take the parts that we like and just focus on them. But that's not the whole picture, is it? If you just pick out, well, God is love, so that's the only part I'm going to focus on. There were people, uh, famous people, who took the Bible and just cut parts of it out because they didn't like that part. Hello? You know, God is God. And, and you know what the word theology means, right? Anybody? The study of God, right? Theology, the study of who God is. Well, the Bible declares who God is, and so we need to understand that, he's, that you know, he is, there's a balance of who he is. I was reading Psalm 95, and, and Psalm 95 you know, talks about worship. And the first, talk, the first part talks about worshiping with joy and shouting to the Lord with joy and, and just all exuberant. And then later it says, uh, come and bow down before him, kneel before him. And there's this idea of reverence and this idea of, of uh, you know, this worshipful attitude. They're both true, Right? Some churches, though, they focus on just the one and not the other. You know, it's all about balance, I think, and, and for us to have a balanced picture of who God is. Amen. Pastor Chuck said this. He said, God is love. But he is also a just and a holy God who will bring judgment, though it may seem to tarry. You see, all his attributes make up who God is. That's why we look to the Word. That's why we look to the Bible to find out who He is. What is, what is He? It says here He's a jealous and a, He's an avenging God. And, 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 you know, you and I, we kind of think in terms of someone's jealous about their girlfriend or their boyfriend or whatever. But for God, this jealousy is a, it's defined as a zeal for righteousness, a zeal, a burning zeal for truth and for justice. Because that's who He is. 
He can't be anything other than who he is. You and I, though, we, we tend to put, you know, our human ideas upon him. And so, you know, and then we kind of make, we, we make God the God that we want him to be, right? He's, he's what we imagine him to be. He's what we make him to be. He's the God that, well, really, what, in the end, it's a God that's limited to my understanding. But I want to say to you this morning, he's way, way more than that. He's way bigger than that. One man said this to his justice, even the greatest world powers must submit in humility and shame. God was going to do something. Nahum is telling the people, he's telling the people of of Israel, of Judah, he's letting it be known that God is going to take vengeance. God is going to do something. Now, does he have every right to do that? Absolutely. Absolutely. He has got every right to do what he decides to do. It's when you and I say, God, you can't do that. It's when a nation that is so big, the biggest nation on earth, says, you can't do it. You can't judge us. You can't do anything. We are the Assyrians. But look at verse 3. We read it already. The Lord is slow to anger. It talks in verse 2 about his wrath, but then in verse 3, it it gives us a little bit of definition here. He's slow to anger. He's not just, you know, flies off the handle, angry at everybody. And his wrath is a perfect holy wrath. His anger is a perfect holy anger built on the principles of true holiness and righteousness and justice. But he is slow to anger. He's slow to anger. And Psalm 103 says that, that he is compassionate and he's gracious and he's slow to anger and he's abounding in love. You see, again, it's a a balanced picture of who he is. Yes, he has every right to be angry, but but, but he has it in control. And he has a whole purpose and he has a whole plan and he wants to draw people back to himself. That's his whole, that's his whole thing. That's what he wants. That's what he desires. We're going to finish here in a few minutes uh, where Peter talks about it, that, you know, he's being patient with us, not wanting anyone to perish. Look at uh, the second part of, of verse 3. He says, the Lord slowed anger and he's great in power. God is all powerful. Do we even get that? Do we even understand that? God is all-powerful, and for anybody to like fight against Him, to stand against Him, it doesn't work. But it also says this, the, the Lord will not leave the guilty unpunished. Why is that? Because He is just. He is completely and totally just. Now, when you think about a, a, a judge in our society, in our courts... We, we like to think that they will make the right decisions, do the right thing. But the truth of the matter is they're only human and they do not always get it right. But God, the just judge, will always, always get it right. That's why it says, you know, that, that uh, you know, don't be deceived. Whatever a man sows, what? He will reap. Don't, don't be deceived. 
God, it's, it goes on to say that God cannot be mocked. God cannot be mocked. There's a spiritual principle. There's a, a principle of the universe. There's a principle of who God is that, that we can't just do whatever we want without some kind of consequences for it. That's true for every single one of us. Look at verse 6. Jump down to verse 6. Who can withstand his indignation? Who can endure his fierce anger? His wrath is poured out like fire. The rocks are shattered before him. Who can stand against him? Who can stand against him? You know, the people of Nineveh, Think about this, you know, they, they, the city was so fortified. Uh, it's said that they had walls that were 100 feet high. They were wide enough to actually ride four chariots side by side on this wall. The wall was like 80 miles long. It had hundreds of towers Around the wall, there was a moat that was 140 feet wide and 60 feet deep. Now, in that day and age, this place is, you know, you're not getting in. You're not taking down the city of, of Nineveh. It's impossible. And, and as they have this idea, you know, who is going to take me down? And then you got the leader who's saying, you know what, I'm divine, I'm God. But what is all that to God? To the creator of the universe, who, the God who created the stones, the water, the people themselves. What is that to him? Judgment was coming for their oppression, for their cruelty. You know, Warren Wearsby said this. He said, nations today seem to forget the power of almighty God. They act as though there is no God. But you can be sure that the day of judgment will come. And in that day, no nation will be able to escape. No nation will be able to escape. I could not help but thinking about the USA. It's my country. It's where I live. It's who I am. The most powerful nation on earth. Isn't that interesting? At that time, Assyria was the most powerful nation on the earth. Today, you and I, this country we live in, the most powerful nation on earth. And I believe that we were once humble before God. But the question is, have we turned away? Thinking that we are too big to fall, too big to fail. Sometimes I think there's that, there's that arrogance well, we're America. We're the USA. You know, nobody's going to take us down. Nobody's going to make anything happen to us. I don't know about that. You know, uh, some of you people that are into uh, Bible prophecy, like we all are, but some more than others, obviously. It's interesting that the USA doesn't even seem to figure in some of the final end time things. What happened to the USA? Where's the USA, this greatest nation on earth? I don't know, it's a, scary, it's a scary thought to me, though. That if we don't turn back to God, just because previous nations, uh, previous generations, previous 
peoples in our country were, you know, the, this was a Christian, quote unquote, Christian nation. Why did they say that? Because a majority of the people were believers in Christ. But that's not true right now. The persecution is coming. We're becoming a minority. The persecution is, is real. It's happening. What's going to happen to our country? You know, when we turn away from what really made us who we were, or even as we are, when we turn away from the real reason for that, we, we need to be very careful. Judgment could be ours. Nineveh, look at verse 8. Well, let's not skip verse 7, because verse 7, I think, Again, we, we have to have this balance and put all these things in perspective. Verse 7, the Lord is good. He's a refuge in times of trouble. He cares for those who trust in Him. This, this goodness he is part of His very nature, nature of who He is. That, he, that He's a refuge in times of trouble. He's always there. He cares for those who trust in Him. To those who look to Him, He is there. So, so for you and I to trust Him, He's there. But I believe as, as well that, that he was there for even then, the people of Nineveh, as, as Jonah went and spoke to them, they turned. They could have turned then, but did they turn? They turned before, but this time they did not turn. So what was going to happen to them? Judgment would come. Nineveh would fall. Verse 8, but with an overwhelming flood, he, that is God, will make an end of Nineveh. And he will pursue his foes into darkness. It talks about a flood here. And they, they actually think that, that part of what happened when Nineveh was taken down was that uh, the, the moat sort of flooded. They, there was too much water. The moat flooded and destroyed the wall. It, it kind of broke down the wall. That's interesting. But it came. In 612 B.C., the Babylonians came in, others came in, and they, they were wiped out. They were wiped out, totally destroyed. Uh, Nineveh was never, never rebuilt. Assyria was done. In fact, for a long time, they, they thought, you know, the Bible, talking about Nineveh, Assyria, the Bible, was, that's all fairy tales because they didn't know where it was. But just recently, in the last hundred years, so they, they found the ruins of Nineveh. They said, ooh, I guess maybe that part was, they're okay in that part. All in fulfillment of God's word through Nahum. Were they too big to fall? I guess not. Someone said this, being so mighty, God can protect those who trust in Him and destroy those who fight against Him. He'll do that. Let's close uh, with, with that passage I mentioned earlier, 2 Peter chapter 3. If you want to turn with me to that, 2 Peter chapter 3 and... 
so that's way near, almost, almost all the way to Revelation. And Revelation is the last book, book right? So James, Peter, John, Jude, Revelation. So 2 Peter chapter 3. And I hope you're getting somewhat of a, a balanced picture of, of God through this study because I would hate to see that you just saw one thing and not another. But the fact of the matter is God is a God of love, but he is also a God of justice and judgment. And there is judgment coming. You read the book of Revelation and you cannot but see that there is a lot about the judgment that God will bring. Let's read in verse 9. The Lord is not slow in keeping his promise, as some understand slowness. He talked in verse 7 that, you know, there's going to be a day of judgment. He is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief. The heavens will disappear with a roar. The elements will be destroyed by fire. The earth and everything in it will be laid bare. Since everything will be destroyed in this way, what kind of people ought you to be now? He says, you ought to live holy and godly lives as you look forward to the day of God and speed its coming. That day will bring about the destruction of the heavens by fire. The elements will melt in the heat. But in keeping with his promise, we are looking forward to a new heaven and a new earth, the home of righteousness. God's being patient. God is being patient with the human race. He doesn't want anyone to perish. You can read about it in the book of Ezekiel, one of the major prophets. He says, do I take any pleasure in the death of the wicked? No, he says, I would rather that they would turn to me. God does not desire for any to perish. He's being patient with us. He was patient with those people then. But there comes a point when God says it's time, right? The day of the Lord is going to come for this whole planet. But even for the nation of Assyria, the day came in 612 B.C. Judgment was done. They were over. It was done. He told him it was going to happen. Pride. The people of Nineveh were so, so proud. Who can do anything to us? Humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God, and he will lift you up in due time. The place for you and I, every one of us, is to humble ourselves before him. He's the creator of the universe. He's the almighty God. And we need, to, we need to recognize that and bow our knees before him. One day, every knee will bow. Every, knee will, every tongue will confess that, he, that Jesus Christ is Lord. But so much better to do it now than wait till the day of judgment. It's too late then. It's too late. I hope and pray that you have made that decision. You've bent your knee. You've bowed before him, the creator, the almighty God. And, and you made it. You got right with him. It's through Jesus. There's no other way to be right with him except through his son, Jesus Christ. Let's pray together, shall we?
Father God, I thank you for your word. And, and though it has some difficult things to read about, it has some wonderful things that we like to read about. But it's all true. And you are a God of justice as well as a God of love. You are also have a holy, righteous anger as well as a joy. Father, we are only human and we can't uh, take it all in. We can't totally comprehend it. But I know one thing is that uh, we need to humble ourselves before you and proclaim you as the Lord the God of our lives, the God that we worship and serve. Help us, Lord. We are, we are proud, too. We're human. We're weak. We want to go our own way, too. But we confess that to you. We confess that, that we're, just, we're just dust. And we need you desperately. Desperately, desperately. Father, I pray for our country. God, I don't know. I don't know. We've gone so, so far from you. I don't know how we could get back. It's just I can't, I can't see it. I can't see how it could happen. But, but you could bring revival. We pray that you would bring our nation to its knees before you and, and, and back to uh, trusting in you and not trusting in ourselves. God, we pray for our nation the way Nehemiah prayed for his nation. Lord, we've gone a long way. We've, we've left you out. We've gone directly against your word in so many areas, so many ways. But we confess that. We confess that. We confess our sins and we repent. We, we turn to you, Father. I pray that you would forgive our nation, heal our land. God, have mercy on us. Have mercy on us, Lord. I pray that for us individually as well, Lord. I pray for any here this morning as well who today's the day you want to get right with him. Maybe, maybe you uh, have never believed, never received Jesus Christ. Today you can do that. Or maybe you have wandered off. Maybe you have, you're out in the wilderness doing your own thing. You can come back today. The way is open. God is patient. He doesn't want any to be left out in the wilderness. Just pray with me, dear Jesus, we come before you. Forgive us. Forgive us. Cleanse us. I ask you to come into my heart and my life today or once again, whatever the case might be, and help me, Lord. Help me, Lord, today to live for you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. And let's stand and sing together, shall we?